Marie, host of the Pillman Abundance Success Series. Our primetime mastermind focuses on marketing your business. I have renowned professional speaker, trainer, internet marketing coach, Tom Antion. We talk about how you can ethically have a great online business or speaking career or both. He has a great school out in Virginia Beach. We talk about that. And you can find all we're talking about tonight on his website, TomAntion.com. Great business news you can use. Let's get to it. Tom Antion, welcome. Hey, Sabrina. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to this uh, interview with you and your great background, not only as a speaker, but a marketer. I want you to tell our audience a bit about where you're from and something about our background that we may not know. Oh, my goodness. I'm from a little town in western Pennsylvania called Claysville, and we only have, uh, still to this day, the population is only 500, and uh, I lived in the suburbs, <laughs> so I was total, <laughs> I came from nowhere, basically, and it was kind of funny because when my mother was still alive, I, I moved to Washington, D.C., and I'm a Mr. Big Shot then, and and when I go home, we grew up very frugal when I was at home, and I I took her, she always wanted to go to the thrift store and the Salvation Army, and I, I drive up in this big Mercedes, and she's in there arguing with the lady that she wants this 25-cent blouse reduced to 15 cents because it had a stain. <laughs> so, oh, my heavens. <laughs> so I grew up, uh, you know, very, very frugal, put it that way. <laughs> wow. Now, you went to Washington for what? Well, uh, prior to being in Washington, D.C., I had a nightclub in Morgantown, West Virginia, where I went to college on a football scholarship. And when I got out, I started a nightclub, or I took over a nightclub that used to be a biker bar. And I cleaned it up and made a really nice family and a big regular nightclub, uh, not a biker bar. But the bikers, uh, somehow in my youth, I, I didn't notice that they weren't going to like this. <laughs> and, and oh, my heavens. <laughs> I was in uh, gunfights, knife fights, had over a 100 violent encounters with them trying to kill me, and uh, they shot up my car and everything. So, so when I got out of that business alive, luckily, I thought, you know what? The next business I have, I'm going to enjoy, and the people are going to enjoy, and nobody's going to hit me with beer bottles. So I moved to Washington, D.C., because I had this really crazy idea based on Candid Camera. You, I don't know, you may not be old enough to remember Candid Camera, but, um, you know, it was, they pulled jokes on people. So I oh. thought, you know, that's that's cool, except it's like a punk, the early version of punk, long before punk okay. was in. And, um, and I moved there. And I opened up uh, this practical joke business, and I pretty much starved to death for like six months. But then I got some publicity. I got in the Washington Times, and then I got Washington Post picked it up, and then Associated Press picked it up, and it went worldwide. And all of a sudden, I'm doing, you know, these practical jokes for all kinds of big shots all over Washington, D.C., and did that for a while, and then... I I was always thinking, you know, there's something bigger here for me. I don't know what it is, but you know, and and then a bizarre thing happened to me in a bookstore. I'm I'm in a bookstore, and I move to let a lady pass by with a baby stroller, and my head 
hits a book, and you you know the speaking business, my head hits a, a book called Speak and Grow Rich, and wow. written by Dottie Walters, who was kind of the grandmother of professional speaking. And so this is bizarre in itself. And I, I open that book, mm-hmm. I get a consultation with her, and that starts my speaking career in 1991. But what's even more bizarre, Sabrina, is... She started her career. She was one of the first women, uh, woman salespersons and sales trainers way back. But she started her career pushing a baby stroller uh, door to door to sell advertising. And I had to get out of the way of a lady pushing a baby stroller in the bookstore. <laughs> so, wow. But anyway, I got into the speaking business in uh, in '91, and not and since then, not one person has tried to stab me. So <laughs> it's really good. Well, that's a good, yeah. that, that's a good thing. Did you always, well, first of all, what did you want to do? What did you think you wanted to do, you know, in your teens and early 20s? What did you think you wanted to do? I was always an entrepreneur. And I would do mm-hmm. anything to avoid, you know, I had uh, some little jobs in high school, mostly cutting grass, but I was still entrepreneurial. I was doing entrepreneurial things since I was 10 years old. In fact, I bought my first used car when I was 15, didn't even have a driver's license, and I fixed it up and resold it. So so I was always entrepreneurial. I went to college, and I thought maybe I should be a dentist, and I spent two seconds in the dental school and said, you know what, this is not for me. I, I can't be cooped up in this crazy place. And so uh, I took a lot of business classes. Of course, I was there on a football scholarship. It was a major school. And and uh, I ended up, I, uh, long before the, the the book about No Money Down came out with real estate, there was a book called How I Turned $1,000 into a $1 Million Dollars in Real Estate by, I forget who wrote that. But So I'm in college, and I said, I could do this. I was reading a book, and, and by the time I graduated, I had five apartment buildings and a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now, see, that's, that's entrepreneurial been, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So that's why my my new podcast, which uh, I just started, called "Screw the Commute." You know, I never my my resume looks like it's BS because I've almost lived two lives because I've never been commuting back and forth to work like a lot of people do, and I've been able to do lots and lots of things. So. So, uh, yeah, so I never really wanted to be anything. I just did not want to work for somebody else. That was the main thing. You know, in asking you the next question, I was thinking about what you just said about uh, just being entrepreneurial and not wanting to be cooped up in an office or, you know, follow other people's rules. Of course, working with people like you do very successfully. I wanted to ask this question. Now that we have more people who've graduated from college with extreme debt that they probably won't be able to pay off in at least most of their lifetime. Right. Um, did you feel that your college education even prepared you for what you're doing? And I'm not speaking against college, but I'm just speaking, did did they give you any core values that you took into your entrepreneurship, or was it just something you instinctively learned? It was absolutely uh, zero. Now, I got good grades. I wasn't one of those jocks that that uh, didn't go to class and everything. I got good grades and was very conscientious about my studies. In fact, I was valedictorian in my high school. So I'm very, uh, you know, in tune with education. But I did not learn a thing in college that's helping me today. And and that's really sad. And it's way worse today. In fact, we have a webinar 
because uh, I have the only licensed internet, uh, uh, independent internet school in the country. And, um, mm-hmm. and we have a, uh, a webinar showing all the things that they're doing to kids in college and they're, they're inflating the grade point averages to make it look like they're giving you a better education. When there's, uh, you know, like 45% of the kids that go to college said they did not learn anything in four years. Nothing. But they're, they're saddled with enormous debt. So, uh, you know, college isn't for everybody. There's, uh, my school's called vocational. It's internet marketing, but it's considered a vocation. Yeah, but people are becoming electricians and all kinds of things and making a good, solid living. Now, if you're going to be a professional and a doctor or an accountant, you know, you have to go through those motions. But you just can't be brainwashed that it's for everybody. It isn't. And it's it's saddling these young people with enormous debt. My next question is, yes, there are enormous debts, but then there's the compounding of and I'm, I'm sure you have peers that are in this group, at least people that you grew up with, people who did go through in the 90s or thousands, uh, early thousands, the regular job, and then an economic boom in 2008 and 2009 hit, and all of a sudden, from what I'm hearing, they're competing with people who just graduated from college. Yeah, well, so, yeah, that's, wow. that's the, the thing is, when you do go into the job market, and, you know, first of all, I believe all work is honorable. I believe that mm-hmm. wholeheartedly. However, I'm the last person to try to encourage people to go get jobs and make other people rich and then be at the whim of some some investor long way that just with one swipe of the pen can just wipe you out. So um, uh, uh, it's... It's very, very dangerous. Now, in the old days, yeah, you could work 20 years, get your gold watch, and but you know, people hardly work 20 minutes at a place anymore before they, <laughs> you're right. they, they yeah, move you're on. Right. You know, so so uh, even if you are working, I tell people work and use that income to finance your other business that you're building on the side. And with the Internet tools that we have now, oh, my goodness. I mean, when I first started on the Internet, Sabrina, I mean, you could – I paid $2,000 for a shopping cart and another 1100 oh, no. for an affiliate program. And when they wouldn't work, each company's blaming each other. And it took me literally one year to get my book cover on my website because it was all oh. HTML. There was no – until 97 – when Microsoft Front Page came along, you couldn't make a website yourself unless you were a total geek. You know, so it took me a year to get <laughs> my book cover. So today, the tools that we have, my goodness, are so powerful and inexpensive. And if you get the knowledge, you can have a beautiful online business. It's not hocus-pocus, not pie-in-the-sky, get-rich-quick. But with digital products especially, you're looking at 97% profit. And, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but you kind of have to be a moron not to make money at 97% profit, okay? Because mm-hmm. a lot of businesses are 5% profit margin. They have to do everything perfectly just to barely get by. So uh, it's a different world now. This is the best time ever to be able to be in your own business. When you first started out, with your speaking and marketing and finally just, you know, getting your toe wet in that. Who was your inspiration back in the early 90s? 
in the early 90s. Let's, uh, well, uh, Corey Rudel, uh, I don't know if you heard that name before, and he's unfortunately died in a tra- tragic car accident. But he was like the 30-year-old grandfather of Internet marketing. He was making like $5 million a year from his apartment. And so wow. uh, I didn't make a nickel for the first two years trying to figure stuff out by myself. And then back in those days, I paid him 1200 I remember this vividly, $1,236 for a half an hour consultation back in the mid-90s. Wow. So I was really going out on a limb. But it was some of the best money I ever spent. I mean, he, just in that one phone call, he taught me a technique that, like, one page on my website made over a million dollars in the, in the ensuing years. So I, uh, I studied with him. And then after two years of trying it on my own, I started making money. It was wasn't a million dollars a week. It was fifty dollars a week, and then a hundred, and then five hundred, and then a thousand, and then we have thirty thousand dollar weeks now. So, uh, so he was he was the one after Dottie. Dottie was the one that got me into speaking, and then Corey Rudel was the one that uh, got me the, really taken off on internet marketing. So now you've got um, a mentor, so to speak, and you are actually in the business with people that are considered, like yourself, the pioneers. Um, who are some of the people you're meeting after Mr. Rudel? Oh, after Mr. Rudel? Uh, uh, there's a guy in uh, – I love this guy. I just can't – I wasn't thinking about him for, for a while, but he's out of, out of um, Hawaii. And he said one of the greatest things that I quote him today on, except his name is just, I'm doing a brain freeze on it. Uh, no, Jonathan Mizell, there's his name. He's been in as long as me. And he has this really good comment that I teach my students. is like, you don't try to build traffic to your website. You go where the traffic is and stand in front of it. <laughs> okay? Mm. And that's a really great quote. It's really, it really makes sense. So, a lot of people have blazed the trail before you, so you can be brand new, and if you learn how to approach these other places that already have a lot of traffic, and you know how, what to say to them, and you, you know, you do it correctly, they'll put you in front of their traffic, and they get a commission out of it, uh, as an affiliate maybe, or there's all kinds of ways you can do it, but, uh, you can be put on the map very quickly by uh, going and standing in front of their traffic, so that's one of the uh, one of the guys that's uh, been in it since the beginning. Unfortunately, a lot of the people, even from those days, uh, you know, I just can't. Uh, even though they're brilliant, uh, you know, there's a difference between being brilliant and being fraudulent. And a lot of the fraudulent mm-hmm. people are brilliant, but they channel it into ways to rob you rather than to help you. So you can get really rich, like I have helping people and being honest, uh, but they choose to just take people. And so I don't even want to mention some of their names because they're brilliant, but they just channel it in a way that I can't, uh, you know, I don't want to subject people to. You have worked, and you know, having that ethic, which is very honorable, you have worked and you have had these successes, but you've also had, you know, some of the uh, areas that, you know, you had to work your way out of like bankruptcy. And I'd read that you um, refused to, you know, go bankrupt at all but pay off your creditors. 
And I'm sure that there were lessons in that. Um, I, I read that you had lost well, almost over $400,000 in that nightclub business that you were talking about when the drinking age went from 18 to 21. Can you tell our audience what that was about in those days um, yeah, of, um, of having well, that happen? Well, uh, first of all, I, I, I worked uh, seven days a week for six years straight building up that nightclub business, fi- fighting off the bikers, getting rid of them, surviving that, building a really nice family restaurant and nightclub on the weekends, and everything's going great. And then the drink, and I'm like the big shot of this. It was the second biggest nightclub in the state. I mean, it was this rocking place. And... Um, then the drinking age, just you know, this is where I was saying about how just one swipe of the pen can wipe you out. Mm-hmm. So the drinking age mm-hmm. went from 18 to 21, uh, and and in, in a college town, it's you, you you look in and the place is, looks dead. Nobody stays at a nightclub that looks dead. So when you wiped out half of your audience, we we could hold 400 people. So you wipe out 200 of them that are not. You know, between 18 and 21, and there you go. You're, you got an empty looking nightclub. So, uh, but, you know, I was not about, you know, it's just inside of me, I was not about to screw over the people that had, uh, believed in me and fronted me, you know, money and, and the things that needed to run the place and to buy the place and all that. So, um, I went immediately to everyone that I had money to, including the bank, and I said, you know what happened? And they said, man, Tom, you know, this really sucks because you've been doing such a great job and this is not your fault. Uh, And I said, well, here's the deal. I'm going to winterize the place, make sure everything's good, and I'm going to give you the key back. And then uh, they ended up, the bank ended up being okay with it because they sold it for condos or something. But the, all the other people, I went to them ahead of time. I didn't let wait till they were going to chase me. You know, I went to them ahead of time, which changes the whole attitude of somebody. You know, if mm-hmm. you owe them money and you go to them rather than them having to call you for months to try to track you down, then they don't want to help you. So I went to them and I said, you know what happened. This is what happened to me. I said, if, let's make a deal. This is how much I owe you. And you give me time, I will scratch and crawl and get you paid off eventually. Every one of them said, "That's that's the kind of people we want to deal with. We, you didn't. This wasn't your fault, and that's fine with us." And I ended up paying all of them off. So no bankruptcy on my re, you know ever on my report, even though I could have easily taken the easy way out. But then all those people would have thought, you know, well, I mean, they might not have thought bad of me, but they wouldn't have thought really good of me. And I couldn't, I couldn't let mm-hmm. them get screwed over because of my bad fortune. So that's what that was all about. I'm asking you that question because we've got a lot of automated stuff. We can press a button and get our groceries sent to us, our clothes sent to us, our this sent to us. If we owe people money, we can do things electronically where we avoid people. And what you're talking about are soft skills. When you first started out in speaking, you had to do a lot of face-to-face. Right. You had to work with people. And I was looking at your background in sports. Sports is teamwork. Um, you, you have to learn to work with other people. You have to, in some way. Um, those soft skills, can you just talk about the importance? Not everybody's good at them. Not everybody likes them. Some people 
learn to become good at them. But do you think your early training in not only, you know, sports, but just dealing with business at such a very young age and developing those soft skills have helped you with your yeah, and, and everything you're doing today? Yeah, and I want to address that, but I am extremely worried about uh, our gen- generation now who four people sitting at a table, not one of them are looking or talking to each other. They're all on their phones. They're looking at their phones and texting the person across the table. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating. You can go any place on earth and go and see this. So that worries me that they're not developing those kinds of skills that people like me, who has money and, and appreciates those skills when they come to me and they're, they're talking to me about something, but they don't even look me in the eye and they're, they're on their phone texting while they're talking to me. <laughs> You know, it doesn't impress the, uh, the the people. So yeah, uh, the soft skills and dealing with people. Like when I had the, I got those five apartment buildings in a hotel, it's because I went up and shook hands, and I was clean cut, and I spoke respectfully, and I acted humbly, and I, I showed my competence that I could do this, and uh, and I got the deals where you know. Many uh, students now could ever, couldn't even imagine, you know, buying a hotel right, when you're right. in college. Uh, but I'll tell you how I, I got that if we have a moment. Um, sure. So I had uh, I had made all these deals on these apartment buildings myself, and I was charging. <laughs> this is a little bit of capitalism here. I was charging more to the other people than I was paying in rent. So I just stayed renting from another guy because I was mm-hmm. charging more in my own places to the other people. And so whenever the guy would come over to work on the place, I would say, hey, Frank, you know, I'll help you do these gutters or something, but you teach me how you're doing it, right? So uh, so I do this, and then the end of the semester comes, and he comes to me and he says, hey, Tom, I want to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh, what I do? He said, not once in 25 years has a kid either offered to help me, let alone try to learn something. 25 years he'd been renting in that town. He says, I got a hotel about 20 miles from here, and I want you to have it. I'll take back the financing uh, so that, uh, you know, if you get a first mortgage somewhere, I'll take a second mortgage so you won't have any money down. And I... Uh, I went to 50 different lending institutions, getting turned away, shooed away, like, oh, I'm like a little nobody. But And that's another thing is persistence, which a lot of people don't have nowadays. So I just kept going. Finally, I got the first mortgage. He took the second mortgage. I ran the building for five years. Um, uh, uh, made, I think, $360,000 in those years and and then uh, the city bought it out for a hundred thousand uh, the, the lot. <laughs> so, so, it is. And so the whole the bottom line lesson there is give before you get. I showed this guy, and I didn't even know he had a hotel. And I wasn't trying to impress him. I was trying to increase my own skills. I was trying to be better and excellent at learning, and that impresses people. When you're entitled and you want everything handed to you, that does not impress people, all right? That makes them like, oh, gee, what do they want? So if you can flip that, especially young people nowadays, because a lot of them are considered entitled, uh, 
if you flip that, in fact, there's a kid that works for me every Sunday. He's a RA at the local college, and he's very, very uh, studious and very polite, clean cut. And I'm doing everything I can to help that kid. You know, he he works for me every Sunday, and I spend the day with him, and I teach him stuff, and he's just the greatest. But I've had people come over that, you know, they were here four hours, dumb as a stump, and they wonder where their bonus was. You know? <laughs> you know? I'm like, I'm thinking the bonus is I don't smack you in the head. <laughs> That's your bonus. <laughs> So, uh, so being excellent, uh, give before you get, all of those skills, and those are soft skills. Those are not have anything to do with the computer, the cell phone, nothing. It's just how you treat people that are in positions of power, and they look at you like, wow, I have not seen that out of most people, so you stand out in the crowd. You get offered the best jobs. You get the, the business breaks that I got when I was in college because of I, the way I acted. See? So that's, that will still work today and forever. When you stand out in the crowd because you're doing excellent things compared to your, you know, your peers, you get the, the spoils from it. You know, I was, I was thinking about what you were saying earlier about, you know, people at a table texting and not really paying much attention to each other. One of my mentors was saying that he would be, at first he would want to, you know, want to go back and be younger, but he said, I wouldn't want to be young and in the dating scene now and go out with a girl. She'd probably be texting during the date, and she'd probably be texting her other boyfriend. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, said, I said, well, wouldn't you be texting your other girlfriend? He goes, well, I never even thought about that, you know. Well, the, the thing is, though, he's uh, he's probably a little bit incorrect. She'd be texting her other three or four boyfriends. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, seriously, you know, I was thinking about that when I was reading, you know, your background and thinking, okay, this guy's been through the whole biker thing and some disappointments. You have to have face-to-face contact to get through this whole thing. You can't just hide behind your phone and your computer mm-hmm. and then work it out. You know, it's not going to work. Yeah, all those know. people I owed money to had I not gone in person. I went in person to see them. I didn't just call them up, or there was no texting or email in those days. But, I mean, I went in person, um, or I didn't just call them. I went in person, looked them in the eye, shook their hand, and said, this is the situation I'm in, and this is what I'm going to do if you'll go along with it. They all did. Awesome. Now, in the early days of national television and the infomercial and this, that's something you know about. Today we get stuff on YouTube and this tube and God knows what other tubes that will come about. So it, it was not an easy deal. We're talking about the early Internet where you probably had to deal with the phone thing. I've heard you had to, you know, connect by phone. Um, can you tell our, our audience what was it like in those little frontier days? Oh, my goodness. My first computer had a uh, 40 uh, megabyte. Well, before that, it was just there wasn't even a hard drive. It was a floppy disk. Uh, but my first computer had a 40 megabyte hard drive. Most people wow. take two or three pictures as more than 40 megabytes nowadays. <laughs> and, uh, and, yes, you had to use what's called a modem to go through the phone line. So if you were on the computer, you couldn't get on the phone. <laughs> so oh I mean, this, is, this is like crazy talk to the young people now. I, I saw some funny things like they were trying to get a young person to use a dial telephone. 
and it was mm-hmm. just comical. They had no idea what to do with the telephone. Oh, my heavens, is that bad? <laughs> yeah, and a lot of kids can't even read a clock now because it's all digital. So a, a, a circular clock with the numbers on it, they can't, they can't read it because their clocks are all digital. Uh, I saw so, uh, an early a cell phone that looked like a cinder block. I, somebody goes, no, that's a cell phone. I said, oh, you know what? I, I got to get a picture. In my garage, I was one of the first uh, cell phone users in the whole region. It was mounted in a suitcase. I have the I have it over there. I'm going to take a picture of it and put it up online. Yeah, it was a suitcase that sat on the, the seat next to me in the car. <laughs> oh my heavens! Yeah, That's yeah. Hysterical. I got written up in the newspaper, but everybody's like, "Ooh, ah, look at that!" <laughs> so, uh, oh but anyway, God. yeah, we had to use a telephone modem. There was no inter, uh, you know, broadband. That was nothing. I mean. And at the time, like, to get a little one-inch size video, you'd have to download it for three hours or so to get to play 30 seconds or a minute of a video. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was only, That's like, scary. an inch big. It wasn't full size or anything. So it was mm-hmm. it was crazy. I mean, I remember agonizing for eight months to try to get my printer to print in landscape instead of horizontal or, uh, you know, portrait. <laughs> so it was like everything no. was primitive and you had to fight and wait. And uh, today nobody would put up with it. I mean, the the, uh, the kind of slow speeds we had back then. And, and we had bulletin boards. And uh, hey, I met my girlfriend at, on Love at AOL, which was the uh, precursor to Match.com. And um, mm-hmm. it was free in those days. Uh, but uh, AOL came along, and I was like, whoa, look at this. This is greatest. And, uh, and uh, yeah, there was just all kinds of stuff there, but none of the kind of functionality that we have nowadays. I mean, it's, it's just no comparison at all. When you started to do your speaking and getting the four audiences and whatnot, were there were there really big fees? Were the National Speakers Association and Toastmasters and all that were, were they really making tens of thousands of dollars per speech like they do today? Well, uh, when I first start, started, I had already done a thousand comic performances in my entertainment company. So when I hit the speaking scene in '91, I thought, oh man, you know, I'll just charge five hundred a speech. Because I was doing it for $100 a, a show, you know, and four or five a night doing the comic acts. And mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't get one speech. Uh, at the time, a good, solid journeyman speaker was charging 4500 or so. I couldn't get mm-hmm. one speech because if you're too cheap, people think something's wrong with you. And people right. were telling me I was better than the people charging four or five hundred because I had those thousand performances. I was really funny and and uh, pretty darn good, and I uh, couldn't get a speech uh, at five hundred until I uh, the first one I got accidentally because somebody didn't show up was twelve hundred fifty, and then I immediately mm-hmm. went to thirty five hundred, and then as soon as my book came out, I went to forty five hundred, and then by the time I quit corporate speaking, I was twenty thousand. But I didn't even want corporate speaking anymore because for the past, oh, geez, 15 years, I speak at public seminars where I have not done more than 100,000 at the back of the room in over 15 years. And as far as I know, nobody's ever beat me at the back of the room sales. And sometimes I did a quarter of a million. 
So I don't even want the speaking fees anymore. Plus, you have to be so darn politically correct now in corporate speaking and association speaking. I'd get kicked out probably now. <laughs> I can get a little rowdy up there. But at the public events, they love it, you know, but uh, you can. you you got to be extremely PC in the corporate arena nowadays. But, uh, um, but I also... Uh, taught speakers and I did it myself to do fundraisers you can you can make a lot of money doing fundraisers where you uh, you don't just go and speak and hope somebody likes you and hires you you create a seminar that uh, let's say a church would promote to their congregation and you split the money and then you mm-hmm. can you can sell stuff at the back of the uh, instead of the back of the room it'd be back of the pew I guess <laughs> you can sell mm-hmm. sell stuff and get a, and give them a percentage of that because I can't tell you how many playgrounds I built you know because I went and did this and made a lot of money for both of us and they used it for their fundraiser but I still made money too so that's a way that there's virtually no competition there so I I get when I teach speakers I start them there because they don't have to fight it out with journeyman, you know, speakers that have a thousand presentations under their belt. Uh, when you go to the fundraising market, nobody, you know, there's no competition there. So you can uh, you can really get a speaking career going there and do a lot of good at the same time. Well, that's a good tip. Mm-hmm. I was wondering too. You're talking about selling products, and we were talking uh, off ear. I was telling you some of the. The comical and sad things that people are hearing on these either infomercials online or any place, you, you can just put a book out there and you can do everything in 48 <laughs> hours or, or, or publish a book in a, in a month or less than a month. We can just get you going. Then they put these things online, especially on a Amazon or wherever, and it's great that they have a product, but people can tell what a poor quality product and, and cover look like. Yeah, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, just being an author does, and I mean, author still has a panache to it. But but if you put out garbage, I mean, nobody's going to hire you based on a piece of garbage book, one of these little ones that it's like a quarter of an inch thick, and they say, I'm an author now. Well, yeah, technically you are, but I wouldn't be proud of what I, you know, what you did. Um, so you got to watch that. Now, some of the things you just rattled off, I could do because. I've been around and I got seven people mm-hmm. working here. So yeah, mm-hmm. I could knock out a new ebook, you know, very quickly and and promote it and do all that stuff, but I got a hundred thousand people in my database that just to tell them about right. it, they start buying it. So you have to work up to that point. So yeah, so but what those people do is they, they tell you those kind of results, but the chances of you as a beginner doing them are ridiculous. You know, it's it's just impossible. They're just trying to sell you pie in the sky stuff. 